Let us pray. God, we come to you this morning in rainy weather, in cold, in the new year, and we come to hear your word proclaimed. Lord, we pray that you meet us exactly where we are, and you help us to see you more clearly now than we did this morning when we walked in. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Limbo has had a very interesting history throughout uh, the church's history, but limbo, more importantly defined, is the period of time between December 25th and January 1st. It's the time when no calories count anymore. It's the time when sleep is expected beyond anything you could expect to get all year long. Limbo is the time where you really don't know what's going to happen next because you are just resting between these two major moments in our calendar. Um, I got to spend the holidays with my family, which was a wonderful time and a terrible time. Terrible because calories don't count in the time of limbo between these two major holidays. And my dad is a uh, servant at heart. He loves to prepare food. He loves to make sure everyone's having a good time. And so my dad... I don't know why, he bought like 17 different canisters of cinnamon rolls um, in preparation. You know, I'm from a family of seven, but there's only three or four of us celebrating the holidays right now uh, because people are in different places, but he still buys like there's seven of us. And the problem is when you buy that much food, it will get eaten. And so there's nothing worse than the feeling of seeing a full, you know, preparation of cinnamon rolls And then a couple hours later, being gone, and you start pointing fingers in the family, like, did you eat two? Did you double grab the cinnamon rolls? And you find out they didn't. And you find out it was you all along. You had gotten far more cinnamon rolls than you thought you got. I was laughing with my mom. My mom is uh, hilarious for all kinds of reasons. She told me not to tell certain stories from the pulpit, so I won't. But I was telling her how funny it is, you know, when you're using your credit card to do your Christmas shopping or, or any kind of shopping, really. And, and you go and you go check your bill and you go, oh my goodness, someone must have stolen my credit card information. And then you go through all the purchases and you go, oh no, that, that was just me spending that. There's this reality that we have to, to meet that sometimes the, the things that we're like looking for someone to blame, it's really us. Uh, some of those moments are funny. Some of those are not funny. But the truth is that this happens all the time. Sometimes we're our own worst nightmare, uh, but especially during the limbo between Christmas and New Year's. But don't worry, no one's counting, and we're here. Now, our story today um, comes from the second book of Samuel, um, but it's an interesting story for a number of reasons, and one being that it's got one of the coolest Bible verses ever in it, but it's really dark. And that Bible verse says, you are the man. It's pretty uplifting, pretty positive, pretty cool, except that's not really as exciting as it might sound. It's not really an affirmation. It's not really a high-five moment. It's a pretty downer moment. Um, It's kind of like eating too many cinnamon rolls or realizing it was you spending too much money. This moment in, in this book of 2 Samuel is a moment of realization about where you are. And so our scripture today is from the book of 2 Samuel, chapter 12, verses 1 through 9. Hear now the word of the Lord. And the Lord sent Nathan to David. 
He came to him and said to him, there were two men in a certain city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb, which he had bought. And he brought it up and it grew up with him and his, with his children. It used to eat of his meager fare and drink from his cup and lie in his bosom. And it was like a daughter to him. Now there came a traveler to the rich man, and he was loath to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the wayfarer who had come to him. But he took from the poor man's lamb and prepared that for the guest who had come to him. Then David's anger was greatly kindled against this man. And he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. He shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and, he, and because he had no pity. Nathan said to David, you are the man. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel and I rescued you from the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your bosom and I gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. And if that had been too little, I would have added as much more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. This is the word of the Lord. You are the man. David was the man in this story Nathan was telling. Now, about a month ago, I had the privilege to preach with you all about the story of David and Goliath, which is one of the major stories in David's life in Scripture. It's one of those, those moments that we continue to teach our children. It's just got some really bizarre details in there. It's the underdog story. It's one of the most formative moments for David. But now, I'm telling you a little bit about a story that comes at one of David's worst moments, one of the lowest moments. This is the moment that comes after David's king, after he's risen to power, after he's been put in this place by God to serve and to lead, and things don't go that well. Before, David was described as a a man after God's own heart, and yet here we see David acting completely opposed to God's own heart. This story of Nathan speaking to David comes right after the the episode of David and Bathsheba. So if you're not familiar with that story, David is on a rooftop in his kingdom. All of his armies are out at war with the Ammonites. And while he's on this rooftop, he sees a woman bathing and he decides he's got to have her. And he commits adultery. And then when her husband comes home, he has to cover up his sin so he has him killed After failing to pin it on him multiple times, he sends him out to the front lines and commands the armies to leave him to die. David, the man after God's own heart, the man who had gotten up to this moment by leading and following faithfully, had missed the mark. He fell short in a dramatic fashion. It's terrible. We can't underemphasize the weight of what happened here. And so, That story ends and picks up with our passage today with the prophet Nathan coming to David because the Lord had sent him and he begins to tell a story. 
tells the story of a rich man and a poor man, a poor man that had one lamb, a rich man that had everything he could imagine. When the rich man had to use his own riches to take care of a traveler, he didn't want to, so instead he just took from the man who had so little. And David is so captivated by this story, he's getting fired up hearing it. He's getting furious And he's making pronouncements, and little did he know that he was condemning himself. And that was the point. Nathan, this is an interesting moment in Scripture because it might be the first parable we see told in Scripture. Parables are usually something we associate with Jesus in the New Testament, but we're in the Old Testament way before Jesus. So why are there parables here? But this is a moment where Nathan is telling this story to help David see a certain truth. And then later has to reveal to David that it was in fact about him all along. The reason being, sometimes we're so blind to the reality in front of us that that stories are actually the things that help us connect back to truth. Sometimes stories simplify things so much that they help us to make sense of the complicated parts of our lives. This is why we watch the movies we watch or the TV shows that we watch or we read the books that we read. These stories are things that resonate with us for all kinds of reasons. And for Nathan, this story was the catalyst to help David see just how much had gone wrong. Now, there are all kinds of things in the world that go wrong. There are things that are out of our control, but that's not what this story is about this morning. The story that Nathan tells is a story that was resulting from David's own actions. This wasn't because something happened to David. It's because David initiated this sin. Sometimes there are things that will happen to us, and we have to learn how to live with those things or to react to those things, but sometimes we cause the problems in our lives and in the lives of others, and we have to acknowledge it. But when we live with it for so long, when we're pursuing the things that we want for so long, we lose sight of the fact that sometimes what we want and what God wants, it's not always the same thing. And so in this story this morning, Nathan has to tell this story for David to get it. But the problem is he finishes the story and David's just so, so riled up by the story, he missed it. David listened to an entire story by this spiritual leader And at the end of it, didn't realize he was talking about him. And Nathan apparently didn't have the patience to let him just go on in his blissful ignorance. He had said, you are the man. It was you all along. That's who I'm talking about. And then he goes on to talk about how David had risen to the highest position in the land. He had risen to the highest part of God's favor and he squandered it. He missed it. He, he was there and he missed the mark. He was, he was leading, but he failed to live up to the calling on his life. David's armies were at war with this foreign country because they were living unrighteous, unholy lives. And yet David was at home committing the very sins that he accused this nation of. This is the, the problem, the tension in this story. Is that Nathan is trying to help David see that he had missed the mark. Now, the thing is that when we, as individuals, sin, we usually don't think about it as, as dramatically as the sins that happen to us. 
when we lie, it's because we have to. It's because it's, you know, it's really just going to make things better for us. But if someone lies to us, it is gut-wrenching. It's the breaking of trust. When we gossip, it's because we're just venting. But if someone else gossips about us, it's, that's just terrible. How can I even trust that person anymore? How can I be in a relationship with them? And we have all kinds of justifications for our own private sin. We have all kinds of judgments for the sins of others in the world around us. Now, sin is terrible. Sin is problematic. Sin is a poison, a toxicity to our relationships with others and with God. But the lie that we tell ourselves, that culture tells us, is that our sins are private matters, that our sins only impact us. But the ways that we sin, the things that we do that help us to miss God, to miss God's will, impact everyone around us, even the most private sins you can imagine. David thought that his sin with Bathsheba, his lust for her, his actions of adultery with her were only going to impact him until he had to cover up that sin, until that resulted in, in the premeditated murder of another man just to cover up his mistakes up to that point. Now, that's a pretty dramatic example, but you can see how this pivots into our own lives, right? The things that we do on our own impact everyone around us in our community. The lies that we sow, the gossip that we partake in, the vengeful thoughts, the envy. These are all things that we could throw into something called the Ten Commandments, right? These kinds of sins poison us and our relationships, but we tell ourselves that it's only impacting us. The difficulty is until we have someone to help point out the reality of the situation, we're happy to keep living that way. Now, the difficult thing with the word sin is that in church and in our culture, it's been a word that's been used to really abuse people. It's been a word that we use to, to keep people in line. It's been a word that people debate about. And I understand that the messy history that the church has with hurling this word around. That's hard. That's difficult. But we all recognize that there are things that happen in our lives that are contrary to God's will. Now, the word sin in Greek you know, it's always tough when pastors and preachers start talking about Greek and Hebrew because you're really just trusting that they're saying something. So everyone can see Derek after the service if they have any questions. But the word sin in Greek comes from this word hamartia. Everyone knows that word. Hamartia is an archery term. And hamartia, in archery, when you're shooting, you're aiming for a bullseye. And if you miss the bullseye, you hamartia. You miss the mark. And so the, the, the act of sin has been associated with this act of missing the mark throughout Christian history. When God created human beings, we were made in the image of God. We were created to live a certain kind of life for God's will. And yet, sin came into the picture. Sin caused us to miss the mark. Our goal is to live like image bearers, and sometimes we miss the mark. And every sin in our lives, even the most dramatic ones you can think of, are an attempt at getting something we think will be good for us. The greed in our lives is because we think having more will be good for us. The envy thinks that if we could just get that other thing that someone else has, then we'll be satisfied. 
the lust, the anger, the killings that happen in the world around us, all of this is because we believe if we could just get that one thing, do that one thing, get that last word in in the argument, then, then we'll be satisfied, then we'll be all good. That's the lie that sin is to us. That's the, the aim is to live in pursuit of God's goodness, and we believe that these other things along the way will help us reach that joy and that satisfaction, but it doesn't. God is the goal. Living to reflect God's image is our goal. In this scripture here, it's, it's, it's as clear as it can be. As Nathan begins to talk to David, he says, listen, God raised you up as king, he gave you all of the riches you could imagine. He gave you all the wives. He gave you all the land. He gave you so much. And if you wanted more, he would have given you more. Apparently, getting everything you could imagine still won't be enough to satisfy you. Apparently, getting everything you want and more won't be enough. It wasn't for David and it won't be for us. But the problem is when we pursue that satisfaction in life, when, that, when that's the ultimate goal is to make ourselves happy at all costs, everyone else becomes collateral damage. And we don't even see it. And that is the, the power and the tragedy of Nathan's story. Nathan's parable for David is saying, you need to wake up, David. You don't even recognize that as, as the man that's called to lead God's kingdom, you are falling short, that you are missing the mark. You're missing it. And it's impacting everyone around you. You are the man. And it was in that moment that David goes, you're right. I've missed the mark. I've sinned against God, and I'm sorrowful about that. And this isn't the end of David's story. There's plenty more to go. Nathan tells him that your sins have been put far away from God, but your sins have consequences. Once again, the sins in our lives, when we miss the mark, when we're pursuing goodness for ourselves at the cost of others, there are consequences. There are difficulties that arise, not only for us, but for the people around us. And when David leaves this moment from, from, with Nathan, things get worse. There are more difficulties for Israel that arise. There are more problems that continue to come into his own household. It doesn't stop with the sin that he thought was private. The issue is that we often see sin in the world around us. We hear stories all the time that the world is falling apart or this country is now falling apart or the church is falling apart. And we come up with all kinds of reasons for why these things are happening. And often we think the reason is someone else's fault. Man, this country would be better if this group would just get it together. Man, the church would be better if this group would just start tithing more or showing up more or being more committed. And we come up with our lists. And here's a good exercise. If every time you come up with a list like that, it's everyone else's fault but your own, it might be time to look inward. It might be time to think about what Jesus says in the New Testament. We need to remove the beam from our own eyes before we can start removing specks from the eyes of others. We see sin in the world around us, but we, so often we miss our own sins because we live with them day in and day out. 
because we're comfortable with them, because we've deluded ourselves into thinking that we're, we're pursuing something we want, so it must be good, and if it's good, it's from God. But we're missing the mark. We're hamartiaing. We're aiming for satisfaction, but not satisfaction in God. And, and the important step that we have to take to reorient ourselves is to, to look inward, to confess to repent. That's why we build it into our liturgy. We build it into our worship. We start the morning with a prayer of confession. We share in this prayer of confession. We share it together because we all know that we fall short of a lot of things. We call ourselves Christ followers, but we fail to love as Jesus called us to love. We call ourselves Christ followers, but we fail to care for the needy the way Jesus told us to care for the needy. We call ourselves Christ followers, but we lose our tempers and we fall, we fall victim to our sins day in and day, day out. And so we pray a prayer of confession, but not just corporately, not just together, but we have a time for silent confession too. Because sometimes there's other stuff going on in us that goes far beyond what we just prayed together. Part of growth, part of moving forward, part of living into God's will is being able to admit that we are not there yet, that we are on a lifelong journey of pursuing God, of our ultimate goal being God's will. It's not because we want to get more things for ourselves, but because we believe that's what we've been created for, that we've been given this this purpose, this calling in our lives, that sometimes if if we just let our hands off the wheel, we will continue to miss consistently. We have to purposefully and intentionally aim at God and reassess our aim and reassess the places we're missing. Are we missing God with the way that we steward our money? Are we missing God with the way we steward our time? Are we missing God with the way that we interact with our friends? Are we missing God with the way we talk about our enemies? In which areas are we missing God? Because when we don't ask those hard questions of ourselves... We end up in the situation David did, in the highest position he could have risen to, and he missed the mark, and it had dire consequences. Part of the faith journey is recognizing we have to go to God and have him fix our aim. We have to go to God and admit we don't have it all together. We have to go to God and admit that for us to move forward as a community, as a church, as the people of God, for us to help build the kingdom here and now, it starts with us. It starts with the realization that sometimes you are the man. I am the man. Sometimes we need a Nathan in our lives to say, you're missing the mark on this. Because when we're called to follow Christ, when we're called to be little Christ, that's what the word Christian means. It means we're supposed to look like Christ in the way that we speak, in the way that we act, the way that we live. When we miss that, it impacts everyone around us. And so this morning, my challenge to you all is to look at your aim, to look at the place where it starts with you, to look for the things in this new year that you can adjust to help set your aim back on God so that when the Nathans come into our lives to help us see where we've been asleep to our own mistakes, we're not defensive, but that we repent, that we pursue that relationship with God through confession and a spirit of humility.
Amen.